So what I'm going to be doing is I'm preaching on salt and light. It's a follow-on from last week's preach by Ross as he preached on how we could be blessed are the meek. And he spoke really eloquently about that. And so when one looks at the Beatitudes, all eight of them, which are part and parcel of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which we understand, as you look at it theologically, was a series of preachers. It wasn't just maybe even necessary, just a one-off event. It was almost like a boot camp where the guys went away for a while and really heard Jesus preach um, right in the beginning of his ministry on the integral parts of what he thinks and what God believes the kingdom of God to, to be important about and to the, the, the things that needed highlighting right from the word go. So we're looking today at salt and light. Um, the sermon is called, Called to be Salt and Light in a Wicked World. And we don't need to elaborate about the world. We understand that it's not in really good shape at the moment. And one of the things that came out of my preach preparation, and that really hit me between the, between the eyes, is that if the world is, in not, is not in good shape at the moment, then it's the church's fault. Just really think about that. We've got an almighty God around us, created us, created everything that's beautiful. He indwells us just like he did Jesus. The same full capacity of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So if the world is not in good shape, then actually we need to take a good hard look at ourselves and say, okay, Lord, are we doing enough? Am I doing enough as part of your bride to help turn the wickedness or turn away from the wickedness and turn us and turn other people back to you? So we're looking, first of all, at salt. And uh, the scripture verse behind me, if we can just look at that, let me just read to you from the NRV. And uh, is it not coming on? Okay, yeah. Okay, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. Sorry, no, it's a bit earlier. It's about the salt. It's Matthew, sorry, Matthew chapter 5. You got it. Great. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So just keep that, uh, well, okay, let me continue. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets, and obviously it continues in the next phase of Jesus' teach, but we're not going to be looking at that. So we're looking at salt initially, and then we're going to move on to look at how we can be light to the world. So first of all, let's look at the salty taste. Then I'll look at the salty solution, and then our salty stand. Typical kind of background that I come from, formal preaching, where you've got three alliterated S's in this re regard, and then we'll have some testimonies, and we'll look again at my alliteration that's got to do with light as well. But let's look at the salty taste. We cannot have a salty taste, a salty tang to our living, unless we are born again. I think that's quite obvious. And yet we live in a country where 86% of the population says they're Christian, and yet we know in all honesty that even those who've darkened the doors of a church somewhere in this country this morning, we'd be lucky if it's as much as 10%. In all likelihood, it's probably about 5%. So that leaves about 81% of the population out there kind of living in a fool's paradise, that they're all making protestations that we're Christians, and yet in reality, 
when it comes down to the real nitty-gritty of who we are and how we live our lives and whether we're salty or not, well, it's really debatable whether we're not just kidding ourselves and living in some kind of delusion and certainly have a very, very skewered understanding of what Christianity is really all about. And so part of the sermon this morning is to make us aware of what is it really look like. What does Christianity really look like at the end of the day? And so you need to be born again. The Bible teaches very clearly about Jesus saying to Nicodemus, Truly I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So friends, we need to realize, Vierde geboorde, as I say in the Afrikaans language, being born again is of the essence. It's not just got to be a head knowledge, it's got to be a heart knowledge, and it's going to be a whole life lived out for the glory of God. Second of all, to have the fragrance of Christ within us, we need to know that he is not just our Savior, but also that he is my Lord. And that he's actually my Lord today. It doesn't matter about what happened yesterday. Whether it was good, bad, or ugly, actually it's about today. Yes, we need to have done right if we've done wrong yesterday. Maybe done restitution, repented, ask someone for forgiveness so that we can start a brand new day today. But our essence of a relationship has got to do with where am I right now with Jesus. And I cannot stress that, how important that is. In fact, the prophetic word I had earlier, which we felt Robin and I to incorporate in the sermon, is this. The picture was the Israelites, a million and a half of them in the wilderness, on a 40-year sojourn, a 40-year journey, because that whole generation was not allowed to go into the promised land. And every time that cloud moved or the fire moved, the, the, the whole million and a half people needed to be ready in an instant to be able to be moving. And so you could have been in the middle of baking. <laughs> you could have been in the middle of changing your child's nappy. You could have been in the middle of something and you had to quickly finish what you were doing pick up your stuff and move because God said you need to move and we need to move together. I just felt that there was something of a prophetic word this morning that God is saying maybe to all of us but certainly to some. Are we aware of the fact that we need to be moving in the right direction, that our own individual lives with the issues that are at stake in our own particular living at the moment that we need to be able to leave some things behind, abandon them even half done, even though we might have thought it was important at the time, because the light is moving and God is moving us on and we need to be prepared to get up and go. Not a questioning, not to query, not to shout to the leaders, I don't understand why. No, you're getting left behind. Get up, gird up your loins, put your tent on your back and move in the direction that God is calling you at this time to move in. Now, one of the things about salt is that it's really potent. N-A-C-L, sodium chloride. It's potent, friends. In fact, it's so potent that if you try and throw it out um, onto an ash heap, for instance, it's strong enough to actually contaminate the ash heap in terms of the, the power of, of what it can do. And when I say potent, I mean it can really affect the surroundings very powerfully. Now, obviously, the, the beauty of salt is that it's got two major emphases. One is that it's there for seasoning, for taste, and the other one is it works against corruption. It works against putrefaction, and it brings things into, it's almost like taking biltong, raw meat, seasoning it with salt, rubbing the salt in, leaving it for its right length of time to soak in, and then you've got biltong that can last for an incredible long time. And of course, we as South Africans know so much about biltong. So we need to be kind of biltong Christians, where there's the salt, there's the taste, but there's also, in a sense, the longevity that comes with it, the sense of working against the putrefaction of what's happening in our world at this time. And so... The salty taste will influence the lives of people. You will have the William Wilberforces who will stand up 
and for years and years, I think there's almost 50, 60 years, that man stood against slavery until it was abolished in the whole of the British Empire. You get a John Wesley, who where the Wesleyan revival in England was so powerful that where the French Revolution was happening in France and was about to spill over into England, it didn't happen because the Wesleyan revival of the people coming back to God was so powerful that a whole nation was turned right side up. Prostitutes went back to work. The gin shops, the solid Kramers, all closed up for business. No one was buying their booze. The gin shops closed up because the people stopped drinking excessively and started going to church and being the church. Now that's what we need. Do I hear an amen to that? Praise the Lord. I remember the story, if we talk about a salty taste, a true story of a lady who was on a London tube on one of the trains, regularly went on that same train to work year in, year out. And one day, one man stopped her in the tracks and said to her, <clears throat> I just want to thank you. And she said, what for? I, I don't even know you. I've just seen you all these years. And the man said, thank you for helping me to become a Christian. And she said, I, I, I've never said a word to you. And he said, you didn't have to. He said, every time you cl climbed on the train, there was something about you that just stood out. There was a peace and a tranquility about you. There was a that ready smile that you always had for people, your graciousness that I've been watching all these years. And he said, one day I was wanting to think, what on earth made you so different? And then I saw you carrying a Bible under your arm and saw you reading it more than once. So just a week ago, I went and bought a Bible and I started reading it and I've become a Christian and I just want to thank you. And so friends, for me, that's something of what we're meant to be as Christians, salt in a world where we normally see shoving and bumping and stealing and goings on that are really distasteful. But we need to be standing out like a sore thumb and be salt, be a tang of Christ, a taste of holiness in everything that's going on about us. And you know, with Jesus in us as the Holy Spirit, we should really, really stick out. And Jesus said that our holiness should be greater than the Pharisees who put on the big show. We've got to have a holiness that just erupts from within us. You can't contain it, even if you try. So yeah, I just want to ask one of the people to come up. Who's number one of my testimonies? Yeah, Craig, you just come and share a little bit and tell us what you felt about salt. Okay, um, I've got three minutes, eh? Uh, let's sum it up. Okay, um... I grew up in the Methodist church, so I was a Sunday Christian for many years. Um, never gave my part really to God. Um, and in 2015, my father passed away. He took his own life, and I completely broke away from, from God. Uh, I thought, how can a loving God take away my dad at such a crucial time in my life? Um, things were falling apart, and that just made it worse. Um, my marriage started falling apart uh, in about 2010, and my wife started going to church, and... Um, she was going to church for a while and invited me to come along as well, and I started coming, and um, slowly but surely, she brought me back to, to the church and back to God, and uh, I was baptized in 2013, gave my life back to, to the Lord, and, uh, and that was amazing, um, just the, the healing that, that happened through that, and kept growing as a Christian, um, spending time with God, but not enough time, you know, um, and when was it last year, I, I got to the point where I felt like I wasn't going any further. Um, I was serving in the church, um, and I, was, I felt like something was, was lacking. You know, um, I needed to spend more time with God. And I've been suffering for years um, with computer gaming addiction since a very young age. And I felt God just tell me the one day, listen, you need to give this up. You need to get rid of it. I stepped out in obedience and, and got rid of it. Um, uninstalled all the, ga all the games off my machine, still had the computer, um, and then sold it. And since then, I've been able to spend a lot more time with God um, and, and, and Scripture, and I'm spending more time with my family. Um, my kids are amazing. They're obviously learning a lot from me as well, and, and, and such little Christians. I mean, it's amazing. And at work, I'm, I'm walking around. Everybody's like, why are you always so happy? Why are you always so happy? I said, because God gives me the ability to be happy. 
You know, it's, it's God's gracious. And when somebody, like, swears at me or is angry with me, I, I tell them, God bless you. Let God forgive you. And just by seeing that, people have, have just wanting to come to Christ. So much so that, that I've got a few people at work that have been saying, like, do you have any scriptures for us today? And these are guys that don't even believe in God at all. Um, so in the thick of things, when you give your life to Christ and you trust in Christ and you trust in God, things can't get you down, you know. And, and the other thing, after giving up the computer gaming addiction, I've always struggled with finances, and all of that's gone away. All the debt's been cleared. Everything's been paid up. The money's just been coming from various sources where we thought they wouldn't come, even SARS. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing to be at this point where I feel like I'm on fire. You know, I'm on fire. I've come from the darkness into the light. And I can see the change in my family. My marriage is amazing. My kids are amazing. Our life is amazing. You know, so, and it's all by the grace of God. Oh, man, I could just about close the sermon down just after that. Fantastic. Thank you, Craig, for sharing. So if we look at the salty solution, I think one of the things we need to realize is that being salt and light means that we need to be a witness for Jesus. And it needs to be with our lives and not just our lips. You know, talk is cheap. There's so many people out there that can talk, well, sell ice to an Eskimo, talk a bird out of a tree. But at the end of the day, it's frail, fragile. It's ethereal. It's just in the air. It's got no real value. So we have to have our lips and our lives lined up with Holy Scripture and with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit within us. So there's that story of just when the Great Commission had been given, going to all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Lord said, I will be with you to the end of the age. And the one angel turned to the other and said, You've got to be kidding me. Jesus died on the cross. He's done everything. And he's leaving it to these humans, to these 12, these 120, these 500, to go and spread the good news. Why doesn't he leave it to us angels? And um, the guy said something very poignant. He said, what is plan B if plan A doesn't work? And the other angel turned around a little bit smarter and he said, as far as I know, there is no plan B. So friends, just realize the huge importance that we have Jesus having died on the cross, that every man, woman, and child could have the possibility and the opportunity of being a born-again Christian and spending eternity with the Lord, starting right now, heaven on earth and then heaven in the hereafter. For anyone who wants it. And the only people who have been called to pass that message along is you and me. And I want to ask you one question. Have you ever prayed the sinner's prayer with anyone? Have you ever yet had the privilege of kneeling next to someone at a coffee table and being able to pray that prayer and know that they've just got saved? They've just switched from death to life from darkness to light, and to know that when you get to heaven one day, you won't arrive alone. There's at least one person who's going to be there with you. And hopefully that's your husband or your wife and your children and your grandchildren. And I'm not trying to bring a heavy on you. I got saved when I was 16, and the first thing I did, I went and wrote down the sinner's prayer in the back of my Bible. I went and started highlighting the key scripture verses that someone had shown me in order to be able to lead people to Jesus and, that, and started doing that, and friends got saved. And since then, a bucket load of people have got saved because I felt God said I needed to be intentional. I needed to see this was a priority, and I want to encourage you. Please, friends, don't make it to heaven one day, which is a glorious revelation and realization. Please don't arrive empty-handed how much money we've got, how many degrees you've got, how good a person you've been, all the accomplishments you could accomplish mean nothing when you get to heaven one day. What will be of great value is a bucket load of people who are shouting out your name and saying, Stephen, Lauren, 
Justin, Russell, Stephen, Henry. I'm over here. As soon as you said hello to Jesus, come chat. And there should be a bucket load of people. And those folk who would say, I, won't, I wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for you. We cannot arrive one day empty-handed. Do I hear an amen to that? Amen. So there are nine fruits of the Holy Spirit that are all already there inside us as the Holy Spirit. So being salty is not something you've got to try and achieve. You don't have to go and do a degree in it. You don't have to go and, and study up on it necessarily, though reading the Word is integral. But it's a fact that God's already put His Spirit within us. All those nine fruits are there already. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control. They're all there. Those virtues are there. And, and it's part of what God's Spirit does is to work out the rubbish, for instance, get rid of pride so that humility can kick in. Get rid of anger so that gentleness can come in. One's got to get rid of the rubbish before the real good stuff can come, before the Holy Spirit's um, presence can just flow naturally and spontaneously through us. And so let's just continue to know the salty solution is actually God's Spirit in me. The seal of his approval, the stamp of his ownership. And then, of course, part of the solution is our prayer lives where we're praying and we're praying and we're interceding and we're bringing these things to God because when you come with a prayer to God, you, you're inviting him to come with all his great power to stand behind the truth of his word and to back up his truth. If I had to say to Justin, Justin, I'm going to come and mow your lawn every Saturday morning. My word is at stake that I'm going to do that for him. And if I don't, then I've just failed. God has made a huge lot of promises in his word. He stands behind every single one of them. Almighty God stands behind every promise. So why aren't we living the promises? Why aren't we praying the promises? Why aren't we standing on the promises? Why aren't we believing for the promises and allowing this mighty God to come reinforce reinvigorate and do what he can only do himself and change lives in the most beautiful way. There's one story of a guy that joins, he came out of the Alpha course. This guy asks, uh, hears about a job at Harrods in London, an incredible famous store. And he applies for the position of PA to the managing director and like the owner. And he gets this job, he's absolutely thrilled and he arrives there and he's, he's told the people with his CV that he's already a Christian and that he's got Christian values and they kind of wanted him because of that as well. So he arrives the first day at work. He, he has the phone ring. The boss is in the, in the room with him. And he picks up the phone, uh, quite excited, his first little piece of work. And the person asks and inquires for the boss. And he holds his hand over the, the, the kind of the, the mic, and he says, uh, whoever the boss's name was, um, so-and-so wants to speak to you. And the boss says to him, tell them I'm not here. And instinctively, and I stress the word instinctively, Joe hands the phone to his boss and says, no, you tell him. Now, you and I know that <laughs> you've just about been fired when you make a statement like that. Here's the big chief giving you instruction. He's asking you to lie for him, and your instinctive reaction is, that can't be done, I'm sorry. I'm not that man. You do it. And needless to say, he fielded the phone call. When the phone went down, the man was angry. And Joe got in early, and he just made the statement. He said, boss, if you ask me to lie for you, then I can very easily lie to you. I don't do lying. That man went on very, very soon to become the number two guy in the whole organization. Number two guy, not, not just the PA. He helped run that entire organization because of his witness, because of his salt, because he was saying, I refuse point blank to lie. I refuse point blank that if I see a pencil lying somewhere at work on the floor, I pick it up and say it's now mine. Or see a 10 rand note that's just fallen from someone's wallet 
I will race after them and say, this is your 10 rand. And not do what the world does. Oh, this is my good fortune. It's to do it God's way, God's solution. So what is the salty stand? Because it says, if you lose your saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And that's a huge challenge, friends. And let me tell you, one not to be taken of lightly, because I believe that what's happening here is God is actually challenging us and saying, you can lose your saltiness. By implication, I believe you can lose your salvation. The devil can't steal away your salvation. He can't steal you away from God. But what he can do is, like what can happen with salt, is that because it's so powerful, um, sodium chloride is so powerful, the only way that can you, you dispel it, the only way you can get rid of it is to contaminate it. So bring other kind of stuff alongside, and you bring enough of a volume of the stuff, and the salt becomes less salty. And isn't that a good challenge to us, that we've got to be careful right now what are the things maybe in your life and mine that is coming to swamp whatever witness that we've got and wanting to dispel it, squash it out, squeeze it out, that at the end of the day when people look at us, they see this and they, see, they don't see this anymore. So we've got to be aware that God is challenging us this morning. What needs to go? For Craig, it was his gaming. Recently, it was me and my library books. So I took all the library books back and left them for a season. Because something, I'm the person that easily picks up a habit and it grows quite big and becomes time-consuming. I used to do gaming, similar to you, Craig. Gave it up years ago. Gave my computer to my son. One of the biggest things my son has struggled with has been gaming for years. Starting to get it right now, but he's 22 years old been a long journey from about the age of seven to the age of 22. Thank God that he's on that good road now. But there are many guys you know right now, friends of yours and family of yours right now, who are not at church, they're busy gaming right now. Pray for them. It can happen with Craig, it can happen with my son, it can happen with me, it can happen with them. But are we praying? So I'm going to have the second testimony. Calvin? Yeah, there's four. So, yeah, we've got three salties and one light. I'm Sheldon. I'm salty. Um, not salty anymore. Well, now I'm salty, not just tasteless salt now. Okay, okay. So, started off with um, basically the tipping point was my mother's death in 2012, May 27th, 27th of May, yes. Um, before that, I was serving in the church as a... Uh, Sunday school leader, as a youth leader, as a junior youth leader, and worship team. So I was pretty much serving. I just wasn't salty. I was bland salt. Until um, my mom had been fighting with cancer for about two years. Until the day she passed, I'd been that saltless person. Um, and where the tipping point happened was on the day... We weren't prepared for my mother to pass away. We were um, l like literally just repeating everything we had done till that point, visiting my mom, taking her some stuff, making sure she's okay, getting ready to, for the time that she passed away, not knowing it was that day. Then um, family fighting, everything was a mess. Day was just chaotic. Family was there visiting my mom at the hospice. Then I was like, tipping point, Lord, what is going on? What do you want from me? Where do you want me from here onwards? My mother's going. I'm literally, I've had enough. I've, at that point, I thought I'd suffered the worst life ever. Little did I know what was coming. Um, oh, I'm shaking. Okay, stop it. <laughs> then <laughs> I was like, Lord, literally it was a fight. I was like, God, you need to tell me what to do now. And I'm convinced that it was the first time I'd heard God's voice audibly. God said, go tell your mother she can go. And context, this is not something God tells people, like, well, not tells people, he tells people that all the time. But he didn't tell me that kind of stuff. God didn't, wasn't ever that clear with me. It was usually vague Bible verses or hints from other Christians to do this, I suggest this, I suggest that, whatever. This was the most direct thing God had ever told me. And he told me, go tell your mother she can, she can go. Um, so, obviously, it took me about 30 minutes to build up the courage to 
do this because that was illogical to me to go and tell my mother she can go. That made no sense. Why would I do that? Like what child in their right mind would say goodbye to the mom? So I was like, okay. They had moved my mother to the small little ward because she was, um, she was in pain and she was um, shaking and making a noise. They moved her to this little private ward and everybody else had left, not left, but had moved to the cafeteria area and I had a, I th which I thought was a lone moment with my mother. So I quickly snuck up to my mom, went to her ear and I said, mommy, you can go, we'll be okay. It still hurts. <laughs> wow, okay. So I told my mother she can go. And little did I know that I have my sister standing right behind me, hearing me say that. Sister seven years younger than me. At that time, she was 16, 17. Um, not knowing the context of, mommy, you can go. Later, revealing, being revealed to that my mother was actually in pain and she needed us, she needed that, that, Thank you. I'm okay. You can. I, I feel released. She needed that. She needed the okay, you can go moment. That moment of me hearing God's voice and being obedient was not something I wanted to do, obviously. I did it because I, I felt it was God's, also God's grace that actually pushed me to do it too. Because out of my own strength, I'd never be able to do it. Saying something like that obviously makes no sense. From that day onwards was... Um, Life became salty. It started becoming salty again. Um, I do think it was the most challenging part of my life was the next couple of months uh, where God literally took my life and went, let's go. Okay, time, time to grow, Sheldon. Remember all those things. Remember this thing. Remember this thing you wanted? Go on. Remember this thing. And God slowly but surely started removing those things in the hardest way possible. Or I think it was flipping hard for me. Um, yeah, and then... That's now led to a place where I'm constantly pursuing, to, pursuing hearing God's voice in the most possible way. Um, yeah, I, I went through a dry period until 2017 where I was encouraged to go to the School of Prophecy by Mr. Scott here, which was a life-changing moment, another life-changing moment. But I, yeah, I must say that um, walking in obedience was the ticket to a life-changing moment, even though that walking in obedience wasn't <laughs> really me, it was more compulsion. <laughs> Go, do it. Yeah, I don't know what else. Awesome. Thank you, Sheldon. Bless you, but not so easy to share that either. Thank you so very much. A man was struggling with pride, like most of us. And he had this dream one night. He dreamed he was walking in heaven towards this shiny figure that he took to be Jesus. The man looked down at himself and was impressed to see that he was dressed in a white robe and kind of felt quite chuffed about that. But as he got closer and closer to the holiness of Jesus, he noticed that dark spots started appearing on this white robe. And he got quite perturbed by that, and he literally stopped in his tracks and dared not go any closer, afraid of just how dirty he would have appeared to be by the time he arrived at where Jesus was. And then he suddenly woke up uh, from the dream, and he realized with a, a new deep sense of, of humility a couple of truths. The first one he realized that Jesus was saying, compare yourself to me, not to anyone else. Be holy as I am holy. He realized that Jesus was saying, your status as a son is fine. It's assured. My blood covers you but there's still plenty of sin that needs to be worked out of your life and the Holy Spirit fruit to be worked in. And the third revelation was that Jesus was saying, I'm not just content with 30 and 60. I really believe for you for a hundredfold, a hundredfold increase. 
a hundredfold growth, a hundredfold witness that I expect from you. And so he just found that out of that experience, just like some of us have had these God moments like Sheldon, that as we've stepped in obedience, God is able then to move the most incredible way to bring us to a deeper walk with him. And so that brings us to this whole point of light. We're going to still hear one more testimony of salt, but it's a, a salt and light moment. But in 1 John 1, if you'll see behind me in the scripture verse, I read from verse 5, it says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Friends, God is light. God is love. God is perfection in every one of those fruits of the Spirit of gentleness and kindness and faithfulness and humility. It's fully epitomized in everything that God is already. And when he created you and I in his image, before the fall or the jump into sin, I hate using the word fall, Adam and Eve didn't slip on a banana peel and land up with their mouths on an apple. They knew exactly what they were doing. You can know that you know the difference between good and evil, and you will become like God. That was the temptation. Eve knew exactly what she was doing. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. And so it was a jump into sin. Eyes wide open. And so in a sense, friends, part of seeing God as light, seeing him as a light that's moving the nation of Israel, that's moving his church here in 2019, leading his church to know how to vote in this coming week on Wednesday, Wednesday week on the 8th, trusting that God is showing us where I'm meant to be going, how I'm supposed to be voting, how I'm supposed to be living, the kind of father and husband and wife and mother that God is calling me to be, the kind of person at work, the light that I shine of the presence of Jesus within me. And of course, realizing again that We've got to be so careful about this thing of witnessing with our lives. You know, you can have spent, um, well, I'm married 32 years now. You can have 32 years of beautiful marriage. But if I go and mess up with another woman tomorrow, God forbid. It doesn't help that I turn around to Ross and Robin as they counsel me and I say, but what about the 32 years of glorious marriage, raising my children, doing this so right? That's not the issue, friends. That's not the issue. You can mess up once and your entire witness has gone for a ball of chalk. And so do we realize again that when we're called to be salt and light, we need to be salt and light all the time. We can't be one minute in the world, one minute in the kingdom. One minute in the world, one minute in the kingdom and think that we have any witness that's worth anything. Hey, that's where the world is. That's where a good portion of the church is right now. But if we talk about healthy Christians and being in a healthy church, like Josh Jen and 412, then it determines that we need to then say, I need to be a witness of 100% of the time. I need to be in Christ. I need to allow Christ to live out through me with every virtue at my disposal. And not to quench or vex the Holy Spirit by trying to do my own thing in my own way, in my own time. In John 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We'll never walk in darkness. That, that is quite a profound statement. How many of us right now know there's some darknesses there's some dark areas of our lives right now that need to be repented of, brought to the light, brought to Jesus, and asking the Lord, please, Jesus, 
take this from me. I don't care if it's a computer that's got to go. I don't care if it's a sport that I have to stop. I can't play golf three times a week anymore because it's wrecking my marriage. I'm prepared to give up and sell those golf clubs tomorrow. Whatever it might be, but that we're prepared to do it. Then in Matthew 5, 16, the whole scripture verse finishes here after the salt and light teaching by Jesus on the mount. And he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The sad thing about not shining is that we're then a bad witness. And can I just say again, there's no such thing as a mediocre witness. A mediocre witness is a bad witness. So do we realize that we are full-time Christians, full-time called to be salt and light? Not iffy when I feel like it. Um, do I feel like going to church today, celebrating the Lord? Do I feel like going to communion or community? Do I feel like um, having a quiet time? It's got nothing to do with feelings, friends. Christianity has got to do with the facts of who Jesus is. And the facts are, Jesus died for me. He gave his all for me. At the very least, I can give my all for him. 24-7, 365. Say after me, 24-7, 365. Amen, my friends. So Jesus is the source of our light. God is light. He said he's the light of the world. Um, we are going to burn brightly if we firmly ensconced in his word daily. And I want to stress that those, the three things that I say are the basics of Christianity that will help you shine is having a quiet time at least at least 45 minutes every morning. And then at least spending two, three hours at community on Wednesday. At least coming to church celebration every Sunday for about three hours. If we can't get those three basics right, we're not growing as Christians. Now, I'm not putting a heavy on us that you've got to do it in the morning. You can do a quiet time in any time. But make sure that we're hanging out with Jesus, that we're tuned into him, that we know his voice. The sheep should know the the, 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 the voice of the shepherd. And when we hear a voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk you in it, we need to be instantly obedient. Not to sit there querying, Lord, I'm on the motorbike and, and this is the short way. Why? Why do you want me to go this way? You just do it. And as you grow as a Christian, you learn to just do it. And you'll find out later about the car accident and whatever, whatever, and you could have been dead right now. But because you were obedient, because you're living in the light, because you are listening to the voice of God, you're still around today. God's got work for you left to do. And we're in the right place because we've been listening. We've been listening to him who is the light. Friends, we live in a dark world, but the darkness has no power to put out the light. Light has power to dispel darkness. And again, I want to stress that in 1 John 5, it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it or put it out. The darkness cannot put out the light. If anything, light is a reality, a, a darkness is a reality until light comes in. And of course, the brighter the light, the more important. You know, a vague kind of pilot light, mm, better than nothing. But we all know that when you have the gas come in and that pilot light bursts into flame and you now got some really hot water for your shower or your bath, when that thing's blazing hot, nothing can stand in the way. And so my willingness to be at the minimum a pilot light, gassed up with the power and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you've got a blazing light that even gives off warmth and gives off heat, gives off life, touches everything around it. And there's a blazing light. There's not a smidgen of darkness left. And my friends, I want to ask you this morning, where you are right now, are you a pilot light or are you a blazing light? Because God wants to give you the gas of that Holy Spirit and get us to a place of being blazingly lit before we leave today. So God is the source of all light. And then there's the shunning of the light. If our deeds are evil, we will want to choose darkness. 
because we don't want our deeds to be exposed. So often, I remember even as a Methodist minister, walking down pick and pay, I knew so many people after all the years of ministry in six churches in PE and area, and uh, walking down, and I knew where some of my congregation were at by just the way in which they responded. I would be walking along, and I suddenly see a, a fast movement, and I knew there was someone there, and now all of a sudden the person's gone. And I could guess that there was someone from our congregation who didn't want to meet with me, didn't want to bump into me. And so I'd be a little bit cantankerous in that I would backtrack and go around the corner and, hello, how are you? And there's a person standing there like sweat pouring off them, kind of, oh my word, I've been cornered. Stephen's going to ask me, why haven't I been at church recently? Why haven't I been at community? And isn't it sad that, that people will do that, that the instinctive reaction is to want to hide, to want to run away. And if we've done some sin, do you want to go and have quiet time? No, you don't. You don't want to do a quiet time. You don't want to go to church. You don't want to bring these things into the open. And so we've got to stop doing them. Stop doing those things that cause us to go into darkness. And it needs to be a, a cauterizing that happens. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, just let me put that on the mic. Just sharing from Herman saying you can't hide sin, you need to repent of it. And yes, that's an incredibly important point. We need to repent before God. And we need to do restitution before man, which means we need to go and make right. And for those who have been married like I for 32 years, well, you learn to put, be humble and go up to your wife and say, I really am sorry. I hope you've heard those words plenty of times, Elsa. I really am sorry. And of course, it's beautiful to hear Elsa at times say the same. John 3, verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world that people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that which they have done has been done in the sight of God. Do you hear an amen to that? You see, the devil does us damage, and then he condemns us. Or he gets us to be a perpetrator of the damage done on others. And then the person's too scared to come to the light. You think of it, what a clever strategy, unfortunately. Yet, some young man to molest a young girl and he's moved on from that. He's now a grown man. But he knows that if he comes to Jesus, that one of the things that's going to come into the light is what he did back when he was a youngster. And so he's terrified. He doesn't want his family to hear the truth. He doesn't want that to be ever exposed. So he will risk salvation. He will willingly go to hell because he's trying to hide something that the devil set him up for many, many years ago while he was still a young man. How many people are living in that kind of darkness right now because they were set up all that while ago by the devil? And some of those people are even victims who are too scared to even say, I was a victim. I had no role in this. I didn't ask for this. But it was done to me. But I dare not let the world know that it happened to me. Do you see what mileage the devil gets out of his darkness, out of those dark deeds? And we play along with him. We play the game with him. And we have people who are going to a Christless eternity right now because they're terrified that the truth is going to come out. Who gives a darn about that truth coming out? We're all sinners in the sight of God. We've all messed up. We all deserve hell. But God has given us the gift of heaven right now and the full installment for later if we're willing to come into the light and say, God, I did this or I was a victim of that. Please, Lord, allow it to come into the light for the first time 
I remember one lady, she was about to be married the second time. I'm doing marriage counseling in my church in Springs. Here's the young guy and the young lady. She's still relatively young, about 28. The marriage had only lasted about four years. And I, I started talking about issues, started talking about sex and keeping pure and waiting till the marriage day. And then I asked the lady, I said, please don't allow there to be any secrets, that you go into your marriage with any secrets. And I said, is there anything that you need to say to each other? And the lady burst into tears. And she confessed and said that she'd been raped as a child. She'd been molested. And that the whole reason why her first marriage packed up was because of that issue. She couldn't handle it that her husband even came near her. And yeah, she was about to get married to number two. And this guy was looking at absolute amazement with his jaw hanging open, with tears in his eyes saying, I didn't know. Why didn't you tell me? And she thanked me later on and said, thank you for having given me the permission for the space to be able to share my story so I could get it out in the light. I could get it out in the open. I can't tell you how free that I feel. And I can go into my new marriage knowing that this is going to work where I knew actually it was just going to be going the same way as the previous one. It's got to come into the light, friends. It's got to come into the light. I'm going to ask now that we have that third person come and share. Who's the third person? Ah, Sid. Now, the reason I asked Sid to share is because this man has been a father, in particular a husband, that all I can say is if you want to be a real incredible husband, you get the jumper leads on him. <laughs> Anyhow, this is just a short testimony. A recent, well, a couple of months ago, I went to pick and pay to get a few things, and also the newspaper, and um, amongst other things, I got some ice cream, and I didn't want to put the paper in the basket because it would get wet. So I put the uh, newspaper under my arm, I got to the till, uh, paid for my stuff, and took it and walked to my car. Now, there's a car guard there that I know very well. He's also a born-again Christian from the DRC. And uh, as I opened the car, I spoke to him, and as I opened the car to put the stuff in, I found the paper under my arm still. Now, the cashier didn't, didn't charge me or see for it. I let check my list. No, the paper's not on there. So I said to him, oh, my goodness, I walked out with the paper under my arm, which I haven't paid for. I'll, I'll be back now. I want to go back. So he says to me, oh, that's, a, that's a small amount. They're rich. They don't need that money. So I said, no. God knows that I didn't pay for it. And we as Christians should realize that this could be spoiling our witness. So now I'm going to go and pay. So I get back. And he says, you did the right thing. I was just testing you. <laughs> So um, a couple of weeks after that, I go to um, uh, Food Lovers just to buy a few small things. And I've got a small trolley with a basket at the bottom and a basket <laughs> on the top. And uh, as I walk in, uh, the, I see the potatoes, bag of potatoes are on special. So I decide to take one and I put it in the bottom of the trolley. Bought a few things and got to the <laughs> cashier. Uh, paid for what was in the top <laughs> trolley, um, walked out. As I got outside to park the trolley, I saw the potatoes there. So, oh my goodness, I could have I been caught here, shoplifting. Anyhow, so I decided, okay, well, I go back to the little kiosk there. I don't know if it's a supervisor or whoever. So I say to them, um, there's two of them, I said, Oh my goodness, I walked out and the cashier didn't see it. I didn't see, I didn't remember the potatoes, but I want to come pay for it now. So they looked at me. Um, they said, well, Did you leave the shop? I said, Yeah, I was, up, was outside. I saw it there. Oh my goodness, you're an honest man. I said, Yeah, I might be honest, but uh, I'm a Christian. And uh, according to God's laws, I would have stolen this if I took it. 
Let's see. Yeah, friends, that's been something of a light. And we don't always know how God orchestrates the circumstances that one of those people, whether it's the guy from the DRC or one of those two ladies that you were speaking to, was profoundly touched by that and ends up maybe going to church for the first time in 20 years that Sunday and gets saved. We don't know the full story of just how incredible this sustaining of the light can be of such great importance that even the smallest details are absolutely important. We know what God's word says and we should know it off by heart. And by the way, we should know all 66 books of the Bible. We should know Psalm 23, hopefully off by heart. We should know key scripture verses off by heart. I can bring a little kid who's, who's probably that high who knows the Quran back to front. Just about any Muslim person down the road. They will have been well trained in this, their scriptures. Well, I want to say that do we know our scriptures? Do we really know them? Do we know them well? Because God forbid someone asks a question and we're not able to answer it. Or we embarrass ourselves like the one comma was in one day. I said turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And the one lady literally took about 30 minutes to find the book of Isaiah. That, that shouldn't happen. That's a terrible witness. Because they look and they think, well, you don't know the scriptures. And yet later on, someone will overhear you say, I've been a Christian for 50 years, or 30 years. But you don't even know where the book of Isaiah is in the Old Testament. So there's things that, there's some basics about living in the light that we need to do. Being honest, being a people of integrity, knowing the scriptures well is just an absolute given. I remember if we're looking at light, I was in, back in 1994 as a minister in PE, and I organized a massive big march, got all the key ministers in the city, and I invited Tom Tapping from this one church to come with me, and we were going to all have our yeah, clergy apparel on, and we were going to march and go and give a memorandum to the mayor of the city against abortion on demand, etc., etc. And I remember Tom not pitching, and he was the NCMI guy around the corner, and I was so disappointed. And I went and spoke to him afterwards, and I said, Tom, you didn't come to the gathering. You didn't come to the march. And he said a very profound sentence to me. He said, Stephen, it doesn't help to shout at the darkness if you don't light a candle. I want to tell you that is one of the most profound sentences I've ever heard as a Christian. And it has indelibly changed my life and the way I do ministry since that day. It doesn't just help to shout at the darkness. Shout at Malema's shout at the Zoomers, if we don't light a candle, we have to be able to bring the solution. There needs to be a pregnancy crisis center for every young girl who's 12, 14, 15 with an unwanted pregnancy, that she can bring a child to full, full term, have the baby, and have it adopted instead of killing the child. There needs to be that space. And if there aren't Christians that are making that happen, shame on us. Shame on us. We have no right to shout at the darkness, unless we're busy all the time of lighting a candle. So in conclusion, friends, as we have our last testimony, and then we're just winding it up, and, and, Ross just, and Robin taking over, there's a scripture verse where it says, um, and it's got to do with a light that is in you that might be burning dimly at the moment and maybe realizing that the light is almost out. But in speaking about it, Jesus says he will not snuff out a smoldering wick. Let me read that again. He will not snuff out a smoldering wick. In Isaiah 42, 1, 3, and in Matthew 12, 18 and 20, Here is my servant whom I uphold. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick. He will not snuff out. I just want to ask Helen to come and share, and then we're going to close and land this. But I want you to start really starting to listen to the Holy Spirit, convicting you of anything that you need to bring into the light this morning so we can pray with you. Good morning. Um, my witness is to do with 
health and the way that it's brought me into the light. So as I have got older, I have had a number of health issues. Um, one of them was started by a fall on a pavement, uh, walking down the pavement. And I badly bruised my right hip and my knee and pulled muscles and tendons in it. When I was sent for x-rays, there was absolutely nothing wrong. So fortunately, there was no break, but there was a lot of pain. So I was using painkillers for a long time. And then I started using OsteoEase to try and alleviate the, the swelling and, and, so, and so on. Um, and then I sat under a teaching about uh, healing in church, and I'd also bought a book on healing. Uh, and one of the scriptures that was used was 3 John verse 2, which is, Beloved, I pray that you prosper and be in health. And the book that I bought it enlarged on that you be in health. It is God's will for us to be in health. And I thought, well, if it's God's will that we be in health, and I am his child, why am I struggling with this hip and knee issue? And so I began to ask God um, what had happened. And, and as I read and as I learned over the years, I realized why. I still had the hip pain. And it was because I had allowed myself to believe that the pain was caused by the fall and therefore the inflammation and, and any damage to the hip was because I had accepted the doctor's diagnosis. Now for all of us, we've been to a doctor, we've received diagnosis. Um, but what I have only learned really, really recently is that it's accepting that diagnosis instead of stepping away from that and saying, I'm going to trust Jesus. He's my healer. He is the one who can heal everything. But I need to trust him. I need to go to him. And so it's been a long process of saying, Father God, I repent of allowing that spirit of infirmity into me by accepting that diagnosis or that pain or that backache or whatever happens to you and then rebuking that spirit of infirmity and casting it out. But it, the healing didn't happen immediately. It took three years of doing that at regular intervals before one day I realized I don't have any more pain in my hip anymore. I had stopped taking the painkillers months earlier, but I was still taking the osteoease, and I thought, well, what am I taking this for? I don't need it. And so this has been a journey that I've been on literally for the last 15 years of realizing that I don't need to accept a medical diagnosis. I need to go to Jesus. I had a pain in my knee walking up my stairs one day last year. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I've pulled a muscle. You know how we, we automatically know what's wrong with us and we accept it. And then I realized, you silly clot. <laughs> you've accepted this. You've put it on yourself and your knee's still aching. And so I did the same thing. I repented of allowing that spirit of infirmity in and I rebuked it, uh, yeah, went through the whole process. And then I just spoke healing into that knee, day after day after day. And you know what? No more pain. So I encourage you, trust Jesus. He's your healer. He is the light of the world. Amen, amen. Right, in closing, Jesus was a carpenter. And I just imagine that he could have made a nice big wooden bowl and maybe even made the wooden bowl that on the night he was betrayed when they had their first communion meal, that Jesus would have taken that bowl and he would have gone and washed his disciples' feet, even out of a bowl that he had made. But there could have been another bowl that he made. Perhaps it looked exactly the same. Same size, Jesus made it. 
and it was Pilate's bowl that was used only a few hours later in the next morning. And you see, friends, we have a choice to make at any given moment in our lives, but particularly today. And that is, do I use Pilate's bowl where I deny the truth, where I choose to live in the darkness, where I choose to live the lie, going on the same old, same old, or do I choose to rather wash out of Jesus' bowl and choose to kneel before his own disciples and wash their feet? In any given moment of every given opportunity in our lives, and particularly today, we've got to make a choice. Last week, Ross preached about being meek, not weak, but meek in the Lord, the Beatitudes, which this is a continuation of. And he spoke about that the Jesus that was on the cross, there was another Jesus that was by Jesus. And that they, the one, they asked for him to be freed. And so the one Jesus was freed, and our Jesus went to the cross. In a similar way today, we're going to make a decision. Do I choose to wash and be effective in God's world as a witness, washing out of Jesus' bowl or out of Pilate's bowl? Because Pilate's bowl basically says, I wash my hands of this. It's like the picture I have of someone getting saved with a wrong theology right from the word go. Sitting back, putting up their feet, relaxing back in the chair, and saying, I'm saved, but to hell with the rest. But to hell with the rest. That's not how we do Christianity. That's not how God operates. That's not what the Holy Spirit is there for in our lives. It's chiefly that we will be witnesses for Jesus. There's no plan B. There's only plan A. And you're it. You're it. 